Hello, School Psych Podcast fans. This is Rebecca, and I'm introducing a really cool episode. This summer, Rachel, Eric, and I had a chance to record a podcast crossover with Jeremy Sharp from the Testing Psychologist podcast. We had a really great conversation with Dr. Sharp about his podcast and about our podcast as well. We discussed the history of our podcast, how we got together a little bit about each of us individually, our intentions and motivations, format, um, and other sort of behind-the-scenes uh, pieces of information about schools like podcasts. We also talked about the collaboration and valuable connection of the work of school psychologists and uh, private practice um, clinical psychologists. We talked a little bit about reports and how much we gain from the collaborative conversations that each of our podcasts are able to create online. So I hope you enjoy this special crossover episode and please feel free to comment and give us feedback on this episode and any School Psych Podcast episode that you have been able to listen to or watch. Please like and subscribe to the School Psych Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube itself. Let us know what you think, rate, and react. We'd love to hear from you. We want your feedback, and we really value and appreciate the collaborative conversations. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of the School Psych Podcast, crossover podcast with the Testing Psychologist. Hey, y'all. This is Dr. Jeremy Sharp, and this is the Testing Psychologist Podcast, where we talk all about the business and practice of psychological and neuropsychological assessment. Welcome back. Today's episode is really going to be a good one. So today I'm doing a collaborative episode with the three co-hosts of the School Psyched Podcast. If you have not heard of the School Psyched Podcast, you definitely need to go check it out. So it's a podcast that, uh, like I said, is co-hosted by these three school psychologists, um, Rebecca, Rachel, and Eric, who I'll introduce more in a moment. Um, the podcast is, it really seeks to connect school psychologists um, to one another and to foster professional growth. Um, so they do a lot of, I think what you could call like professional development sort of interviews. Um, they also have a fantastic uh, Google Drive with tons of resources for school psychologists. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it's also an interesting podcast because their episodes air live um, on YouTube Live. So that allows for audience participants participation and questions, which is um, kind of neat. Uh, after the episodes are aired, they are housed on YouTube and iTunes and you know released as a, a regular podcast. So they've been doing School Psyched since 2015, and they've talked about tons of important topics, learning disability, identification and intervention, trauma, legally defensible uh, reports, microaggressions, myths. I mean, there's they've got a lot going on. So this is a really cool interview. Um, let me tell you a little about each of them, and then we'll jump into it. Um, so Rebecca Camizio is, well, she was Connecticut's 2019 School Psychologist of the Year. Pretty amazing. Um, she practices in New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, she is a big advocate for children's mental and behavioral health support in schools. She's a leader and committee co-chair in NASP. She's co-authored the book, 70 Play Activities for Better Thinking, 
self-regulation learning and behavior, and um, just an all-around pleasant person. Rachel Donnelly is also a practicing school psychologist in, uh, let's see, Anne Arundel County, Maryland. Uh, Let's see, she got her undergraduate degree at Binghamton University and graduate training at the University of Buffalo. Um, she's worked in four different states and loves to compare and contrast different different perspectives in school psych. So she's the one that manages the resources drive, the, that Google Drive uh, folder with all of the amazing resources they put together. And she is also on the NASP Communications Committee, and she supervises university students. Um, let's see, Eric Elias is also a school psychologist. He's in... Um, Meriden, Connecticut, and <laughs> this is incredible. He was Connecticut's 2018 School Psychologist of the Year. So uh, he's been in practice for about 30 years, um, has contributed numerous articles for the State Association Newsletter, um, published in the NASP uh, Communique and the American Federation of Teachers. Let's see, Eric, what else? He's done a lot. These bios are lengthy. Uh, supports the practice of school psychology on a national level, um, again, through involvement in the NASP Communications Committee, presentations at NASP. Um, he's an active board member in the Connecticut Association of School Psychologists and the newsletter editor for that association as well. So he's taught psychology as an adjunct professor and is currently on the advisory board for the school psychology program at Southern Connecticut State University. Let's see. Uh, I think I got it. I know I mispronounced a couple things in there, but y'all get the idea. Um, Rebecca, Rachel, and Eric are pretty amazing folks. They have a really cool podcast, and I just feel very fortunate to have gotten the opportunity to sit down and talk with them today. So before we get to the interview, I think this is probably the last podcast that will air, at least before our CE credits have to be renewed or our licenses have to be renewed. So if you need last minute CE credits, um, you can get CE credits for the testing psychologist podcast through at health.com. Just search for the testing psychologist and you should be able to find those episodes. You can listen, take a quick test and get some CE credits. All right. Without further ado, here is my interview with the school psyched podcast co-host. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Testing Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy Sharp. Like you heard in the intro, uh, we have a really special episode here today. Um, We have a little bit of a podcast crossover episode with the folks from School Psyched. Um, I'm really excited to have Rebecca and Eric and Rachel here from the School Psyched Podcast. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, We were kind of joking beforehand uh, about the we're, so we're recording this on July 5th, which is kind of nuts. It's Friday, July 5th, um, and the likelihood of getting us all together on a holiday weekend for the same appointment is pretty amazing. Um, but I appreciate y'all were y'all being persistent and making sure that we got this scheduled because we've been going back and forth since February, I think, trying to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm just fortunate and very thankful to have you all here. So 
you know, there's, I think there's a lot that we can dive into, but I would love to just start with um, how y'all came to be and how the podcast came to be. So how did you get to know each other and how did you decide to do a podcast together? So um, I'll start us off and I'm Rachel. Um, and the podcast came, I got in, inspiration from a few different places. One, I've, I had been a school psychologist at that point for, I want to say, five or six years and had worked in a couple different places and know that as school psychologists, we can be a little bit secluded and kind of out there on our own. And sometimes you're in a small district and you don't have access to maybe professional development and networking and things like that. Um, I also, at the time when the, when the podcast came to be, was in a district that I was very unhappy. And so I needed a little bit of a release and I needed to know that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't alone and I wasn't just, um, <laughs> you know, out there um, in no man's land all, all on my lonesome. Um, so that was kind of a little bit of the inspiration for it. And I also, my husband is uh, an educator. And teachers have a lot of online networks. So um, they're on Twitter a lot. There's podcasts. There's webinars. They're very active. There's a lot more of them uh, than school psychologists. But they have a pretty um, diverse and um, really pretty amazing social media network going on that they learn from each other and they share resources. So I started to kind of think about that and think about, well, why don't school psychologists have that? You know, why can't we make something like that? And I had seen some podcasts that were you know, airing live and allowing for, um, you know, viewers to tune in and to ask questions and to collaborate and to swap resources. And I was really intrigued with that. So I started kind of mulling that over and pondering and figuring out, you know, could I do that? Is there some, is that something that I could manage from a technical aspect? And do I want to do that? Um, and started thinking about this vision for the kind of this online community of school psychologists. At the time, we really didn't even have anything as far as Facebook groups to just connect with each other. So that was kind of my vision. I also paired that with, um, I had a Google Drive that I started. So I put it in all my resources. So as school psychologists, you know, we make templates to help the report writing process go a little bit better. We, you know, have maybe counseling plans and things. It's like, well, why can't we share all this? Why can't we... Um, you know, be better together and learn from each other. So I, I made this Google Drive with and put all my resources in there and encouraged and made it a public drive and encouraged people to put things in there. And then was hoping to kind of tie this, this concept of the podcast together so that we could, you know, do presentations and maybe keep the presentations in the Google Drive or keep the audio in and just let this be kind of a good learning environment. Um, so I got together with my best friend, Anna. Um, she was a school psychologist. Um, she graduated out of uh, Rochester and I was out of Binghamton, but we went to, um, I was out of Buffalo. We went to undergrad together in Binghamton and we met there and we've been best friends ever since. And she was part of the reason that I got into the field and, um, you know, even knew what a school psychologist was and that that was a thing. So I said, hey, Anna, <laughs> I have this idea. What, what do you say? Could you do this? And she was like, that sounds a little bit outside of my bubble. You know, um, as school huh. psychologists, I think that we're a little bit introverted sometimes and like to keep to ourselves. And it was for sure outside of my bubble, but I was like kind of talking myself into it. Um, and so her, she agreed. And I started kind of planning and thinking about it. About it and it kind of didn't go anywhere. We were it was, it was scary to, to do a podcast. I'd never done anything like that before. So uh, after a couple months of nothing really happening and not taking the plunge, 
I decided that, okay, we need a, we need a third member. We need an overachiever who's going to push us <laughs> and hold us accountable and who might do a portion of this, this workload and help us out here. So I started searching online and became acquainted with some of the school site uh, community Facebook pages and whatnot. And Rebecca here had one as well. And she had, you know, a good number of followers. But what most impressed me was the frequency with which she was posting. She was putting out resources and articles and having conversations, you know, five posts a day. And I was like, wow, she's really motivated. She's really passionate. Hmm. So I just reached out to her online and uh, she decided to talk to me. (laughs) You know, I was worried that she would think I was some crazy person, but I kind of pitched this idea to her and she said, okay, sure, let's give it a shot. And since then, we've kind of been, you know, planning and working together very well. Anna had to take a step back just because of life and, you know, managing things um, and just had too much on our plate. So she took a step back. And so we were sorry to see her leave. And that's when we brought Eric on and he had been a good, um, a really big supporter of the podcast. And so, yeah, we do this live and people kind of tune in. And so it's a bit rough and the audio is sometimes a bit messy and technical difficulties, but it's been a really fun ride. And that was kind of, and I know that Rebecca and Eric can talk a little bit about from their perspective and how that, you know, how they got kind of roped into this, but I think we're, we've all been learning so much and really it's been, it's been a fun time. It's, yeah. it's been awesome. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to jump in also and say um, when Rachel reached out to me, I started my Facebook page, um, school psych, your school psychologist when I was in my internship year. And um, it was just a place for me to kind of collect resources and ideas and inspiration and and organize my thinking and and learning about um about the possibilities of what a school psychologist could how a school psychologist could help children thrive and and so when Rachel reached out to me I really didn't know anything about podcasting I I almost the question do you want to do a podcast was almost like what does that mean you know (laughs) but it was a sort of for me a brand new year of of yes of of just accepting challenges to to try anything so it was a great um opportunity for me to connect with a school psychologist who i could then um ask a lot of questions to you know i'd be like hey my supervisor asked me to do xyz what do you do with xyz <laughs> you know kind of thing so rachel was a great um uh, support person for me and anna as well and and then of course as we got started um our guests we know our first podcast was about internship um and we were so nervous i think i even downed a glass of wine before we started (laughs) before we hit record um but it it has still to this day i believe the most views the internship our very first episode and we were just sharing our experiences so it was just a great way to connect and feel supported and and um you know, turn to people to ask questions. And, and that's how, that's how we found Eric. Eric was a person on our, on the Facebook page who and uh, uh, would listen to our podcast and would share like great insights and observations. And, and he would, he just mentioned, I've been in the fields for 25 plus years, many more than that, or a few more than that now. Um, but I, we, we knew that he just, his, his uh, experience and, um, ability to to understand some of these topics and help us digest them and learn from them was just incredible 
Yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, Eric, what was that like for you to be, I don't know, roped in, I think was the term. You know, <laughs> right. These, <laughs> these two ladies to, to this podcast. What I mean, what were you thinking? Good, good term, definitely. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> I think um, initially I, I joke that uh, I hit 50 and and I'm in knee deep in Erickson's uh, generativity versus stagnation stage. So um, I, I was seeking um, school site communities on Facebook and sort of impressed with Facebook, you know, being a little slower to social media five, six, seven years ago. And as an intern supervisor was impressed with the things that my interns were bringing in and, and uh, very impressed with Rachel's, uh, with the podcast and then Rebecca's page. And I think through a series of conversations, I would watch the podcast and chime in. And I don't remember whether I was a guest or whether I subbed for Anna who had a maternity leave, um, perhaps the, during the first season. And it, we just clicked. Um, Rebecca and I had been messaging about school psych stuff already. And I think Rachel and I may be chiming in with questions. So we, we, kind of connected as friends and, uh, and colleagues. And I love it. I, I do joke that at, I'm starting my 30, 30th year uh, this school year, and mm. I love it. I, I really enjoy school psychology. I love connecting with students and parents and staff. I love training interns and supporting my team of psychologists. So I do feel like I still have some energy for the field after almost 30 years. And, um, and it's sort of shared enthusiasm that can kind of be contagious when, you know, Mm -hmm. you have Cecil Reynolds on, or, you know, one of these amazing authors and test developers, and you get to sort of have this fireside chat, so to speak with them. And, and then you have colleagues who are chiming in and you go to the national convention, you get to meet some of these folks and uh, it's, it continues to sort of have that uh, contagious effect where uh, the energy builds and, and we continue to share what hopefully is pertinent in the field. And um, so it's been exciting to be a part of, and I just was so thrilled that they you know, wanted to have me join the train, jump on the, jump on the train, so to speak. So I didn't mind getting roped in at all. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, as y'all are describing this process for yourselves, there are two things that are really jumping out that totally resonate with my experience, which was um, one, just wanting to connect people. Um, That seems like a big component here is there was nothing out there. We were practicing in isolation. We didn't have anyone to really share ideas with um, and to give support to some trainees. You know, that's, that's a huge component too. Um, But then this other experience of uh, just, uh, I mean, for me, I, I think it's just being fortunate to learn from all the guests and mm-hmm. it does like inject new life into what we're doing, you know, to be able to talk with these folks who are I mean, li- many times literally like writing the book and you know, mm-hmm. what we're, what we're doing. Um, and that's a, a really cool thing to be a part of. So it's for sure impacted the way I practice and it's made me such a much better school psychologist and have, you know, this grander, um, you know, toolkit to choose from. So it's mm-hmm. really, um, it's really been beneficial. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I always, I mean, joke, but seriously, when people are asking like, how's the podcast going? I'm like, it's the greatest job in the world. I mean, I, you know, find amazing people doing amazing work. I call them and say, do you want to talk to me for an hour? And they say, yes. 
and I get to do that. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's like getting, uh, you know, these incredible master classes once a week. For, yeah, you know, from all that's a good term. We get so giddy too. Over. Yes. We'll send an email, it seems like out in the dark to this famous genius person. And just even if it's a reply from an assistant or um, we get excited. And the one funny story, um, during the election year in 2016, um, Michelle Obama had kept, um, had twice spoken at the American Counselors Association. Um, and at, during the campaign, Hillary Clinton was speaking in New York City, very pretty close to me and had mentioned school psychologists. So I immediately wrote to her and asked her to be on the podcast. And of course she, um, her, her faculty or whatever, her staff uh, wrote back to me and, um, and, but they wrote back to me. They said, she's, she's really busy and she does, she really does, uh, value the work of school psychologists, but she's really busy right now. Maybe you could try again. And that email, I have saved it, archived it in my <laughs> I just think that was so exciting. So even the one no that we did get um, was was uh, happy and impactful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would keep that one too. <laughs> I um at one point we were we had contacted uh, Dr. Temple Grandin about coming on and oh, yeah. had agreed and and we were just through the moon and I was excited and in setting it up at one point I gave her my work phone number and so she called me at work and they're like oh you know the Temple Grandin's on the phone for you I'm like oh you know it was just we have these little giddy kind of fangirling moments where um, <laughs> we have to kind of collect ourselves and, and get it together uh, we're just so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. I'm always struck too by how guests are, I mean, everybody's been very down to earth and um, easy to talk to and um, almost like unaware of their fame sometimes. Yeah. Is, you know, yeah. yeah. It's been great. Um, so that's, that's maybe a good question. I mean, actually, let me back up. Let me back up. I don't want anyone to to miss out on what y'all are doing. So if there's anyone who might be listening who does not know what your podcast is all about, can you just uh, talk about what it is and what kind of guests you have and yeah, and what it looks like? I don't know who wants to take that. Rebecca, Rebecca do you want to take that? Sure, I'll, I'll start and then uh, Rachel and Eric can finish. Um, we, our original idea was... Uh, and, and is still true that it is a podcast by school psychologists for school psychologists. So we really, um, we really think of our audience as other school psychologists. However, um, we recognize that there's so many people working in schools supporting children that also, um, that also tune in and that also, um, uh, could benefit from the conversations and the guests that we have. So, but we frame everything around this idea that um, none of us is as skilled as all of us and that um, thinking together about um, how do we how do we be our best in our jobs um, of supporting kids that's the message that's the conversation that we're trying to create we think of it as a collaborative conversation so um, our guests are certainly the experts but what we're trying to glean from them is okay so what does that mean about what I do on Monday at the office to help um, you know my community my students my families yeah yeah I like that what was that? How did you phrase it? None of us is as good as all of us or something like that. Yeah. None of us That's is really, as skilled yeah. as all of us. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Love that. 
Right. It's not my original, actually. Eric um, found it on a PBIS website, right, Eric? Yes. <laughs> we borrowed awesome. it. Hopefully they don't want it. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do. And, and really, um, to jump in on that, I think the the podcast is bi-weekly during the school year, so every other Sunday evening, and we broadcast live, so people are able to ask questions, and then it's archived so that people can follow up on iTunes and YouTube and things. And really, I think we've gotten over the, well, as Rebecca shared, she reached out to Hillary Clinton, you know, we've, we've gotten over that, um, you know, oh my God, I'm not worthy kind of thing, and, and the shyness <laughs> of just ask somebody. So we're kind of funny at conferences at, and conventions. You know, we sort of pal around and um, take notes on who we're going to bug and, and we're, mm-hmm. you know, insufferable selfie request, you know, photo requesters. And um, it's just fun for us. And, um, w- you know, we don't mind just asking anybody who we read their book or we like, you know, their approach or we feel like we could learn from. So, you know, as Rachel said, Temple Grandin, uh, Paul Tuff, who's a New York Times bestselling author, uh, and I believe a New York Times, a New York Times writer, as well as a bestselling author for How Children Succeed and How Children Learn, I think. Yeah. Great, great books, as well as Ross Green, some folks that you've had on. Um, yeah. Just really amazing. I don't know if Rachel wants to, to share too, but it's just been fun to bug these folks and pick their brains, I guess. And yeah. I think that what's, uh, what's good is, I mean, the three of us have very different backgrounds mm-hmm. and very different interests mm-hmm. too. So, you know, I guess that Rebecca's super excited to get on. I might be like, who is that? I've never heard of them, but she's, I, I mean, I can tell that she's giddy and she's excited. And then we bring them on and I learn so much and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not know about this person? Mm-hmm. So our, our different interests kind of, you could almost tell who's, scheduled and and gotten the guests on by just what the topic is and kind of our reactions mm-hmm. during the during the, <laughs> when we're taping. yeah gotcha gotcha yeah so i was gonna ask kind of how do you pick your guests and um it sounds like a lot of that's just driven by your personal interests which makes sense can you talk about those a little bit you said you have three kind of different backgrounds so where are you all coming from with this process um, so I myself, um, I know Rebecca, Rebecca's more into the counseling and whatnot. I'm, I'm interested in, in testing and measurement and you had Dr. Bojan on and I love him. And so I, I get nerdy about the stats and the numbers and, and things like that. So, um, you know, we've had just so many amazing guests, uh, on that, that, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I get excited and I say, oh, hey guys, I'm going to send an email. Are you okay with that? You know, is there, Eric and Rebecca are great. They're always like, sure. Uh, we try and balance things a little bit so it's not super heavy on a topic that, you know, Rachel is super excited about that we, we get some of the other in there. But regardless, I've never had an episode that I walked away from and, and was like, oh, that was a waste of time. Or I mean, I learned something from everybody, even if I'm not necessarily agreeing with their philosophy or their theoretical uh, background, there's still something that I can pull on that I'm, I'm learning from. So it's, it's just been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And how about the other two of you, Eric? What's, what's your background here? Yeah, I, I am probably in between Rachel and Rebecca in, in that respect. Uh, for a long time, my position in my current district is doing district-wide assessment. Um, I have the school neuropsych 
diplomat. I think you had Dan Miller, Dr. Miller yeah. on. I went yeah. through his program and Steve Pfeiffer, who was one of our, our professors in that program. Right. And um, so my position has changed. Uh, for a long time, I was doing a lot of counseling, a lot of social and emotional learning groups, a lot of working closely with teachers in terms of uh, supporting behavior, uh, doing functional behavior assessments, and uh, was in one building for almost 20 years. So my role is now district-wide, just doing assessments primarily. So my interests have changed a little bit in that respect too. So I, I love the counseling aspect. I love the social and emotional learning components, and I just don't get to do that as much. So uh, primarily, I start to follow you know people interested in measurement or um, evidence-based interventions so that when I do my assessments, I can have some relevant uh, interventions for supporting the students that are perhaps beyond just um, close proximity to the teacher or something <laughs> really, mm -hmm. uh, really simple. Um, so really do an authentic uh, assessment that really gets to the heart of what's going on with the kids. So I'm, I'm really interested in that more so um, as well as measurement. I love Alex Bojan as well. So that was a real good podcast. Yeah, yeah, that was an, a good one for me too. My, I learned a lot, and the, you know, I think that it's funny. The I may have gotten the idea to have him on from y'all's show. Like, I think I listened to your episode with Ryan McGill, and mm -hmm. at some point he mentioned Dr. Bojan, and I was like, that guy's in my Facebook group. I should reach out to him. <laughs> uh, reach out to Alex, and you know, was fortunate enough to bring him on. So yeah, wow. it was cool to have that connection. I love all of that stuff. I don't know what to do with it exactly, but the whole, like, what are we really measuring and mm -hmm. what are these tests about and are they, you know, legitimate and blows your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And for me, that episode generated a lot of uh, discussion, you know, in the group and continues sure. to. So that's a whole can of worms we could open. But um, So Rebecca, I wanted to just touch in with you a little bit, just to, if you had anything to add, you know, in terms of your background and what really interests you these days. Yeah, so I um, I am just entering, if I count internship year, my seventh year. I still consider myself an early career person, um, but my um, my role for the last six years has been in private school. So that is probably why um, my role involves a um, a lot of school wide social emotional learning, um, curricular planning and um, support, and and then it, a lot of counseling, individual small groups, um, push in uh, kinds of things. So that's where my interest in guests um, it, it is a lot, but at the same time, I loved uh, I love Dr. Canavay and and Dr. McGill and Dr. Bojan because that's where my proximal zone of development is <laughs> in terms of where I really need to learn um, about because I don't do assessment very regularly at all um, but I do a lot of interpreting of other people's assessments and um, and applying of what, uh, in terms of intervention of what I'm learning from those so um, it's it's just it's great to have the balance of topics and guests and I'm learning. So it's kind of like our own little PLC and we get to um, take as much from them, from the episodes as we can. And, and then we, ex we extend our, after having a guest, we might read their book and talk about that or share 
um, other resources and articles in conversation and social media and the discussion grows and we can, we can really get, um, get into the different areas where we want to learn more. It's been awesome. I love it. Yeah. I really want to highlight the, the sharing component that y'all have going on, which is fairly unique. I think, uh, you mentioned earlier, you have this shared Google drive that, um, I found, I don't know, however long ago, you know, when I, when I found y'all, uh, which is really pretty amazing. And I would imagine even more amazing for school psychologists, you know, who, who can utilize all of the resources in there. Um, you want any one of you say a little bit more about that and, and what, what's going on there? Yeah. So I can speak to that just because that, that was my baby originally. And, and so I just, I started to think of it as I used to have all these things on my computer in different files and I would know where they are and would kind of pull them up when I needed. But I wanted it to, of course, be kind of a public thing on the cloud where, so I've just filed things away um, according to topics, you know, assessments, uh, behavior, and then there's subfolders and whatnot so that you can kind of browse and find things, you know, templates, and then you can go according to the the tests and find Mm -hmm. what you need. Uh, More recently, we've had some trouble with the Google Drive because somebody flagged us for something. Um, with copyright and everything that I've put in there has been you know not copyrighted obviously um, but nonetheless it got flagged so I'm in the process of talking with Google to straighten that out and we think we're pretty close they're not really sure why it was flagged either and it's something that I think that their system just kind of took over and automatically flagged things once one file was flagged Um, so I think we're close to getting it back where it needs to be and um, because I use that all the time and so when I have to send uh, say I want a teacher to have access to a particular, like a, a reinforcer survey. I can say, here, follow this link. This has a folder with a bunch of reinforcer surveys in there that they can access and, and figure out or a specific survey that I want them to have. So I used it a lot in my day-to-day practice, you know, just for disseminating information. Oh, you, you know, this is the difficulty that you're having with this child. Check out these resources here. This might be something that you can look at. It's kind of a first... Um, you know, before I get in there a little bit, give them a little bit, a, a taste of some of the strategies that they could try. So, uh, you know, I, it's something that's grown a lot. And anytime I see something cool online, I'm like, oh, I'm going to pop that into the drive. And uh, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback from the drive and people navigating the drive and finding. So I'm hoping that it'll be back up to speed. But yeah, a lot of, I mean, uh, we all, our last national convention in Atlanta, so we, the three of us were able to go there, and that was a lot of fun, and we had people just coming up to us saying, oh my gosh, you know, we love the Google Drive, we love the podcast, and it was just so flattering and so nice uh, that people appreciate it, because I'm like, I know, I love it too. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, you get to experience your own little version of celebrityhood, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's really fun. cool. So is it to point, I, w- I would love to link to the Google Drive in the show notes uh, yeah. with your permission, of course. Is that doable? Yes, for sure. We have, I have kind of a backup right now that is functional and isn't flagged. Um, and we're trying to get the original backup as well, because in our podcast episodes, we often will link to relevant resources that are housed in the drive. So if a guest has a PowerPoint that they went through, you know, there's going to be a link in our Google Drive to that PowerPoint. So I'd like to restore the original so that all those links work and I don't need to go back and update the links. But I do have kind of a backup master copy of everything that is workable. So I'll I'll get it to you in some manner. Okay, great, great. And just along those lines of sharing, y'all mentioned a couple different Facebook communities thus far. Is is there one unified community at this point under school psyched 
podcast or are there a couple different groups that people are, are using or what? So when I first started, I had this vision of this community um, and because there wasn't anything, you know, having it kind of around the podcast. But in working with Facebook now, I understand it. I, I realized that there's a difference between communities and groups on Facebook. And so really what we wanted more so was a group where people can post um, as opposed to a, a community. And Rebecca can jump in because she manages um, her own Facebook page and whatnot, which is kind of disseminating information. So I wanted something that was more people post, people answer, you know, um, everybody kind of uh, contributes. Um, but we have seen some of those spring up in the time since the podcast has been going. So there's been um, the School Psychology Forum, which was run by NASPA, that was recently just shut down. So we're really sad to see that go. They decided to do away with that. But there is another group um, said no school psychologists ever, which is fun, but yeah, it's a little bit more laid back and you get some interesting things sometimes. Um, But yeah, Rebecca, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, um, because you're, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we definitely, we have the School Psych podcast Facebook page. And that's where we post upcoming episodes so that you won't see a lot of posting right now since it's summer and we take the summer off from recording episodes. Um, but if you, if anyone out there were interested in, in finding um, previous episodes, you could go to that Facebook page and look at events. And um, we also have a WordPress um, website, um, which is there. And the Google Drive link is there as well. Um, so that is a, it's, and it's, it's, an, it's a community page, which means that you can comment as a, if you like the page or what, or not like the page, if you go to the page, you can comment under posts, you can send inbox messages and you can comment, you can write your own post, but the, if you write your own post, it goes to a section called visitor posts. And that's the same with school psych your school psychologist, which is my page. Um, and on my page, I like Rachel said, I post five times a day and I have no rhyme or reason for that. It's just, <laughs> I, I've been doing that so long. That's all it seems to be my goal. And I usually schedule them in advance. So I'm not, um, you know, so that if I need to not get on Facebook one day, I don't have to, but, um, but it's a community. So rather than a group, so in a group, um, the, the, the benefit of having a group is that, if I post to said no school psychologist ever as a member of the group, it goes right to the main page and everyone will see it and it will go on their newsfeed. The downside of having a group is really for the moderators, for the administrators of the page, because you, you, do, it's a, you have to check it every day. It's not like my page where I put in a filter, there's no swearing, and then people can just go to town and have whatever conversation they want. Um, with a with a, a group, you you really have to monitor a little bit more because things can get heated. There are some controversies in the field; people disagree, and you you want to just make sure that it's you know a safe place to have conversations, and you want to keep that um, feeling. So that's why we don't have a school psych podcast group. It's a it's just time intensive to moderate. Um, however, we do try to encourage other ways to have conversations. We, we also encourage people to tweet using the hashtag psyched podcast. So sometimes that's been happening more during our podcast, during the live episodes. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where we are. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I can definitely resonate with that. Uh, um, joy slash burden of moderating a group. Yeah. As our group has grown larger and larger. I've, yeah. It's, it's getting to be 
a part-time job. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ordering on full-time. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. I mean, I, um, I was really struck when I found y'all's y'all's podcast about the overlap in guests. And, um, I think a lot of the folks that listen to the testing psychologist are pediatric focused, um, for the most part. And so, you know, we're interviewing a lot of the same people and talking about a lot of the same topics. Um, y'all have the, the school psych lens, of course, but there's just such a wealth of information in the interviews that y'all have been doing that want to make sure that people are aware of that and know that that's out there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I did want to maybe talk about if, if, if y'all are up for it, just a little bit of this, like how do we bridge this gap between private practice and school psychology? Um, Cause I think that's, that's really what I'm, what I'm getting at here Um, with the shows. There is a lot of overlap, um, but it's also a potential, area of contention as well. And, you know, we have some trouble with that sometimes. Um, so I don't know exactly where to start that question, that discussion, but, um, I, but maybe y'all do, does any, (laughs) I'll turn it, turn it to y'all. Like how, how do we bridge this gap between private practice and school psychology and can they work together or do they need to be separate or what? Maybe maybe I can start because I find myself in the space of the gap often (laughs) as a a private school, school psychologist, um, who often refers out uh, for testing, but also doesn't have, I don't have a need for qualification um, or even diagnosis. So interpreting tests in itself it is controversial, you know, interpreting data and, um, and whether, whether that, whether cognitive testing can inform intervention or not, that's controversial. So I think one way we bridge the gap is by, at least for me in a private school is just by understanding what is the referral question and what are our goals, right? So it, as the more specific we can make our goals, um, the better we can then determine interventions and next steps. If we're all on the same page, that works really well. I think of it too as almost the private um, clinicians are kind of like a tier four. And anytime a child goes out to tier four, um, sometimes they come back into the school at tier one because people are like, okay, good. The private psychs got it. Now we can just focus on other kids, mm. but that's just so not helpful. Right. And so I, I really like the collaboration between myself and the outside providers. And um, I find that some people are very used to that and wonderful at it. And they'll, you know, we can have phone calls and consultations. I can have phone calls and consultations with psychologists who, who then can even go more in depth than the report about what they found and what they think and what that might look like in school and how I can help. Uh, I think that for me, that's the best, the best way to do it, but it gets tricky then when the outside person is a school psychologist in a school, because they have such a different set of goals and maybe Eric and Rachel can talk about that um, through child find in my town. Our students sometimes are evaluated through the public school and some that relationship sometimes can be difficult, tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Eric, it looked like you were going to jump in as well. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, 
Rebecca said it well with just understanding what's the referral question. What are we, what are we looking for? What are we concerned with, with the child? Um, my biggest goal is always to get the child services that they need if, if they require services and to collaborate with parents and collaborate with outside professionals to make sure we, we all are able to come reach that goal, I guess. Um, the contention sometimes comes when we have difference of differences of opinion. And sometimes that's parents wanting services for kids and perhaps the school doesn't, uh, feel like they qualify or an outside provider sees something that we might not see in school or mm. vice versa. Uh, we see something that perhaps a clinician says, you know, I'm really not sure the child has that. I'm working with the kid on, and the family on this diagnosis or this area. And the thing I think for school psychologists to recognize as well as perhaps outside clinicians is certainly our goal is often to identify one of the the areas under IDEA, right? So one of the um, disabling or handicapping conditions under IDEA and not really necessarily to diagnose um, a DSM diagnosis mm -hmm. or an ICD code. Um, so within that, we really want to get as much academic information as possible. What's the impact? I always tell people, you know, if, if you have an outside diagnosis of, of autism or uh, dyslexia, nobody will take that away from you. But we, the impact on academics may be less intense than uh, than we might think. So there are times where the child is asymptomatic in school mm -hmm. and, and that may be, uh, it may speak to larger problems within the family. It may speak to larger problems within specific settings. And um, so I, I think what's really important is that we have open communication with outside providers. We have open communication with the families so we can reach the goal of ultimately providing the kid with support. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really the bottom line. When a parent comes into my office or a, an outside provider calls me or, or the student's sitting in my office and people are in tears and we have concern, then I, I need to hear that. I need, as a school representative, as a public school employee, my job is to listen and to do what I can to uncover what might be going on and do my best job to um, come up with academic supports. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's difficult. And I think the other piece is we, we do have um, laws regarding independent evaluations in Connecticut that it may be similar in other states, um, outside providers, if the district is paying for an IEE, uh, they must come into the school and do an observation. They must uh, communicate with the schools, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so, Absolutely. And, and we do have good providers that we work with. My wife is also a PsyD, a clinician. And um, so we have very good conversations about how do we, you know, how do we bridge these gaps? How do we do this? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about that just very practically. In our practice, we like to do school observations and communicate with the school staff as much as we can. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that generally a recommendation from y'all's perspective? I mean, is that a welcome uh, outreach from us or yes, on your toes or what? Okay. <laughs> please, please come. And I tell that when I have um, practicum students or interns, you know, I, I say, I try to highlight how important that observation component is and that that's something that an outside psychologist doesn't necessarily have ready access to, you know, that's, so that's, we have kind of this advantage here and we need to, as school psychologists, you know, 
really make sure that we're in the classroom and we're seeing that functional you know, how things are playing out. It's one thing to have all these test scores and make all these inferences, but how it looks in the classroom is a total different ballgame. And so I very much in favor of outside practitioners coming in and seeing what it looks like in the environment and what it looks like kind of in the, the day-to-day thing. And that really, um, it's frustrating to me. I think on both sides, I think that school psychologists need to reach out to private practitioners and private, you know, um, people and, on the flip side, you know, you guys need to be reaching out to us. We really need to make, uh, it needs to be a joint effort to kind of bridge that gap and to be available and to, uh, I've, it's only this, I think this is the first time more recently, and I've been practicing for 10 years or so, that um, I had a meeting and the private psychologist came to the meeting and I was impressed with that. Now the, the parent was paying for that. I wish that that would be like the standard practice though, that, that, you know, they're at least available through the phone or something because it, it gives a lot of, of good insight and it's so nice to have them there. And I often, I get frustrated and Eric and Rebecca are a lot nicer, nicer about it than I am. Um, but I get frustrated when I'm trying to track people down on the phone to talk about a kid and people just don't have the time maybe to get back to me. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's really important. Um, and then I also think it's important that private practitioners understand that in the schools we work on this team mentality. So it's not just one person making a decision about if the student qualifies for services or what the services mm-hmm. look like. It's, it's the team. So uh, me as the school psychologist, I'm not the one dictating, you know, this is what it's going to look like. This is, this is how it is. It's, it's truly a team decision. And so when we get reports in from outside psychologists to say, you know, they qualify for this or they should, they need this in school and they, this is how it needs to be. Those are great recommendations, but you have to understand that it's all subject to the IEP team decision, which includes, you know, your administrator, the parent, this general ed- education teacher, the special ed teacher, you know, re- relevant service provider. So it's, it's more complex than, you know, here's a diagnosis and, and this is what you do. So I think that, yeah, it needs, it needs to be a collaborative effort and we need to, we need to have better communication is really mm-hmm. what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Yeah, yeah, I uh, totally agree. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to try to touch on that. And there are maybe two pieces to that conversation, you know, although they both revolve around recommendations. Um, that's one I really wanted to ask y'all about this. Granted, I, you're not, I know you're not speaking for every school psychologist ever, but I would love to just get some of your thoughts on um, one, you know, how do we write recommendations that actually make sense in the school environment? Cause I think a lot of us, you know, we can recommend all sorts of theoretically helpful things, mm-hmm. but like Eric, you said earlier, like, I don't want to just see, uh, you know, close proximity to the teacher or whatever. Um, so that's one question, like what recommendations are actually helpful to y'all. And then the second one is what kind of language can we use in the report to suggest that they might benefit from an, you know, from special ed evaluation or, or support or a 504 or, you know, it's like, how do we be nice basically, instead of like dictating something or, or demanding something, what kind of language can we politely use to say, maybe you could consider this or this might be helpful, you know, something like that. So those are two questions. As far as the, the being nice, Rebecca and Eric are better at that than I am. But as psychologists, we have to have to walk that line ourselves because, again, I'm writing a report, but I'm not making the decision. So I, I myself am, am making those kind of 
a little bit wishy-washy recommendations may benefit from this. It would be recommended that this happen, you know, so I'm careful with my language um, mm. just because I don't have that power to say, you know, I can strongly recommend something, but I, uh, there's certainly meetings where I'm overruled. And so I need to mm. be mindful that, you know, that can happen and that does happen. Um, but just understanding that it's, it's, it's complex and it's difficult mm -hmm. and it's not only, it, it can be frustrating. I, I know, I don't know, Erica, Rebecca, how, how you word things. Mm -hmm. You know, I find myself in the position often of taking somebody's report recommendations and then working with the teacher mm -hmm. to make sure that they make sense in the setting and for the classroom goals and to make sure that the teacher understands the why of, of the recommendation. So, you know, somebody might say, you know, provide the student with graphic organizers and teachers love, the, you know, the teachers that I know are amazing human beings. They love their kids, they, their students, they, they want to do what will be helpful, but that blanket statement is just like a duh, like it's almost insulting, right? So, <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think what a private psychologist could do is talk to the teacher first, and then if they could in the report, make that more specific to like, you know, in this subject, a graphic organizer for this, um, you know, material, make sense would help because, you know, so Johnny um, really struggles with um, keeping uh, details in mind while problem solving, you know, like just to, to sort of to have empathy for the teacher's view that if it's really helpful, then I'm going to know why. Um, and you can help translate that for me. I, I think if psychologists could talk to teachers, the recommendations will will be um, more likely beneficial because the, the teacher actually needs to get it, like the, just the, the full understanding of why this is a recommendation and why this isn't just, maybe it is, but if it's not just an example of best, practicing in, best practices in teaching, then show me why this is going to help the student more. I love that. Be yeah. specific. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, a, a good way to uh, approach that. And, I would add, I suppose, one of the things that I have to do, probably all of us have to do, is look beyond the diagnosis. So, you know, that's our, our one piece, the why the child is having difficulty, but perhaps then what are some real practical steps? And one of the things that I think school psychologists are good at or should be good at or may need to work on if they're not good at it um, are, are really functional academic analyses. So, um, mm. where is the breakdown in the reading process? So, you know, diagnosis of dyslexia is helpful. Uh, diagnosis of what specific trouble the child is having. Uh, is it in specifically word decoding? Do they need intervention in um, phonetic skills? Do, are, are they struggling with short-term memory issues? Those kinds of things. And some real practical instructional interventions, I think, are, are really key. And so we do things like, you know, looking at evidence-based interventions through uh, some of the, the information that's available online, Intervention Central, um, the um, What Works Clearinghouse kinds of things, and, and really looking at 
as best we can, what's the research on reading interventions? So folks like David Kilpatrick, who's a phenomenal researcher and practitioner, uh, has great information on practical reading strategies, and he's one of the few people doing meta-analyses of reading research currently and reading instructional programs. So just having access to that research, and, and it's probably similar for, for clinicians it's hard to find access to research when you're not in academia anymore. So it, it becomes a little more difficult to look some of that stuff up. And unfortunately for all of us, uh, but I think it's really important that we go beyond, as I, as I said, you know, uh, close proximity to teacher, um, you know, a copy of the notes if the kid has a little difficulty with, with writing or something or organization, but really more specific strategies uh, unless that's all the kid needs, but if the child really needs specific reading instruction, what can we do to, to provide it? And not necessarily programmatic. That's another issue we have where somebody might come in and say, child needs Orton-Gillingham as opposed to child needs methodology in this way, because some school districts hands are tied with purchasing as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, those are things that are important. I, I guess just making it practical for the teacher. Sure. Sure. Well, and I would, I would probably just say that that parallels what parents want too. you know, sure. uh, rather than like a shotgun approach to recommendations, um, having things that are actually specific to, to what their kid needs and really digging into the nuances, right. Is that's what I hear y'all saying, not just recommend reading intervention or even just right. Horton Gillingham, but, you know, making sure that that matches the, the kiddos challenges mm-hmm. seems intuitive, but a lot of us don't do that, you know, intuitively. So. But yeah, I, I, and I learned early in my career too that like with writing, say, a behavior intervention plan, I can write the best behavior intervention plan that is just phenomenal, but maybe it's too intensive or maybe the teacher does, it doesn't work for their classroom. Like I, you need to hmm. understand that you can write the best plan ever. You can write the best recommendations, but if it isn't feasible and practical, it, you know, it's not going to be implemented with fidelity and then you're, you're not getting anywhere. So just, yeah, having that understanding of, talking, like Rebecca said, talking with the teacher and understanding what the classroom looks like and uh, what's what's feasible and what this teacher's skill set is too. I mean, we definitely work with very skilled teachers and also teachers that need a lot of help and they're just not going to be able to do the things that they need to do without a lot of support. Right, right. I really appreciate this, y'all. I know that um, our time is starting to get close, which is wild. It goes by so fast. Um, before we start to transition just to wrapping up um any other thing <laughs> I, the, the the masochist in me has to ask like any other things that you see from private practitioners that you're just like stop that you know <laughs> like anything that we, you know that it comes across on reports that you know, i'll tell to. you what what we hate and what we joke about on the facebook pages Love it. Is, Let's and i don't it. think i don't think you guys are but most more so with like medical doctors when you see like the mm-hmm. prescription pad and like qual give an iep like these short little like <laughs> pile qualifies for this and school psychologists hate that when, <laughs> when understandably <laughs> okay i haven't written any prescriptions yet so maybe <laughs> I'll, i'm gonna take that take that <laughs> but yeah Go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, one thing I would add is I, I think it would be really beneficial for clinicians to look at the state recommend or state regulations for um, IEP. So, for example, if you've diagnosed a child with autism and would like the school to address that, 
um, download the state recommendations because the state departments of education all have the educational requirements and see what those are. And some of them are pretty similar. Um, ID is pretty consistent with a, you know, sub 70 IQ with consistent adaptives and a social history that's um, early onset of developmental needs. But some things aren't. And, and SLD is probably the sticky wicket for all of us um, and yes. dyslexia and certain learning disabilities. But, you know, look at what the state requires, what kind of data is required and what kind of interventions the school's required to do. I think that would help uh, the conversation um, and, and, and help benefit outside practitioners in, in knowledge of what's expected in the, in the school setting. Sure. Sure. I like that. Thanks, Rebecca. Anything to add? Um, I find that in my area, um, evaluation is very expensive. Parents are paying so much money. So what really irks me (laughs) is that, um, is when, uh, is when an evaluation is, is so, um, templated that it's obvious, you know, I, I think Uh that, um, when, when parents are, spending so much money to really understand uh, the report should be readable, but not uh, condescending. It should be um, um, uh, practical. I loved, you had a guest recently and I'm blanking on her name who, who had a different way of um, structuring her reports with the recommendations and um, bullet points up front. I mm-hmm. loved that idea, and I and I even actually emailed her, and she emailed me back um, and shared her website. So if we can figure that out, maybe that's a good note to add to the notes mm-hmm. of this book because uh, I like her. Her concept was just make these reports practical and readable and user friendly. They should almost serve like a, a roadmap to helping this child, um, and if that's the more that's possible, I think the better. But um, yeah, sometimes I see sort of this cookie cutter, child has dyslexia, the child has ADHD, you know, read this book on ADHD. And that's just like, oh, it's terrible. It's just so um, upsetting. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're talking about Stephanie Nelson was the guest. Awesome. On yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so good. So good. So many people have written me like, she's fantastic. You know? She was. She was. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. You enjoyed that. And yeah, I'll put that in the show notes, but it seems like the theme here is just like, again, specificity and kind of personalization mm-hmm. to the reports and mm-hmm. make sure it actually speaks to what the, that kid needs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we, we had an episode called legally defensible report writing. And our guest on that episode was also wonderful in, in, not, in helping us think about not only how to make them legally defensible, um, but, helpful and user-friendly mm-hmm. and practical because, you know, we all, we have the same goal of trying to help, help a child. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is just a theme for us, maybe in the field where, um, you know, I went to the AACN conference earlier in June and attended a fantastic workshop just on report writing and, you know, reading level of our audience and how we way overshoot that most of the time and just how to structure our reports in a much better way. So, yeah, I think we're moving in that direction, hopefully. So uh, let me see. But as we start to wrap, I mean, I wanted to ask um, a couple things. Um, y'all have 
a different model than I do where you actually do seasons to your podcast, which is kind of cool, um, broken up by the summers. So what is coming up in your next season and when does that start? So we, we uh, kind of outdid ourselves at the last NASA convention because we were so excited about all these amazing people and all these presentations that we went to that the three of us kind of dispersed and then asked lots and lots of people to come on our podcast. And so we ha- we're basically booked through all next school year, which is amazing. Wow. So I'm looking at my list right now. And so some of the topics are, you know, positive psychology, um, self-care. We've got Dr. Pfeiffer coming on, who, who you've had on before. We've got a special education um, lawyer who was also previously a school psychologist. So I think that those two areas kind of meshing is going to make for a really, really good episode. Um, Joel Schneider's coming on. Lisa Kelly Vance to talk about early childhood. Um, Dr. Ryan Farmer is amazing. Um, he's been on before to talk about ID and also um, functional behavior assessment. Yeah. And so he's going to be talking about functional analysis next season. Um, we're talking about uh, trauma. Um, mm. Dr. Shanahan, who's big in the reading and uh, reading world, um, is going and was on the national reading panel, is going to be talking about that. Um, social emotional learning, uh, premature births and the impact that that has in the school age setting. Dr. Canavay is coming back to talk about ethics and test interpretation um, in an ethical manner, LD identification, uh, severe food allergies and the impact. I mean, we, we've, we're, we're pretty jam packed and we're still kind of got a couple slots open that we're trying to put people into and we're emailing back and forth. So it's been really fun and we need to check ourselves because <laughs> we're, we're talking and we talk through Voxer. That's how we do our planning and whatnot. So it's kind of a walkie talkie app uh-huh. and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I need, we need to get this new and this person. They're amazing. And then we're like, Oh no, but we don't have spots for them. What are we going to do? And so um, we kind of scramble and try and fit people in, but we get really excited and really um, inspired by all these people and all the work that they're doing, that there's just not enough time to get everybody in. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're looking forward to our, our next season for sure. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I know that problem. Not enough time. (laughs) Well, that sounds like an amazing list. And I'm going to obviously put all the links in the show notes, you know, so people can find y'all and um, subscribe and do whatever they need to do to make sure they don't miss any of those because they really are fantastic. Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. So let's see any other resources. um, I feel like, you know, but uh, at least when I have done some searching, your show and my show are really the only pediatric assessment focused mm. podcasts out there. But I'm curious what else y'all are listening to um, that's that's helpful in your work or in this field. Mm-hmm. Good question. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to open my iTunes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, right. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's um, funny because Eric and Rebecca are avid consumers of podcasts and myself, you know, having come up with this idea to do a podcast, I'm not a podcast person at all. And so I <laughs> really don't, don't listen to any, and I definitely can't stand to listen to our podcast because I, I, I can't hear myself and not. I just, I can't. So, so I don't, I don't do podcasting, but they have really good insight, I know, into, into what's going on. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But you're right, Jeremy. I think we may be, um, you know, two of the few, if any others, are, that are pediatric only. But right. what I find is that there are so many great um, psychology or education podcasts where you can either search by, like, the guest or the topic. Um, 
I mentioned when we were just chatting uh, that I've been listening to this podcast called um, Psychologists Off the Clock, and they've they've had a couple of episodes that are um, focused. One was uh, parenting in the age of anxiety, and one was about um, adult, working with adolescents. So sometimes if you search by topic, you, you'll find a, an interesting whole podcast, but often um, it, it's uh, the focus might be adults. Mm-hmm. Um, two Psychologists and Four Beers is a great one that we like. Um, the good. Behavioral Observations podcast is great. Um, I recently found Feeling Good with Dr. David Burns, um, which he, he he's the author of the book by that title, too. That, mm-hmm. I really like that. That's been great. I'm really into um, CBT podcasts. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Therapy chat is good. Eric, do you have any that you want to add? Um, those are great. And uh, the science of happiness mm-hmm. is good. How to talk uh, to kids about anything. The behavioral observations podcast is good. Uh, and shrink wrap radio is another one that. Um, uh, so those, uh, um, the great. smart people podcast also is good. But yeah, as Rebecca said, you get a mishmash of topics often about adults or interviewing uh, people working with adults, but, um, but some of them have episodes specifically with uh, child psychologists or psychiatrists and great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I need some, need some podcasts. (laughs) Always looking for those. So um, thank you all again so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, if people want to get a hold of you uh, or find out what you're doing, what are the best ways to do that? I think that both Facebook pages are great ways to find us. You can message us anytime. We're really pretty responsive um, in either page messages or inbox messages. So that's the School Psych podcast page um, and also School Psyched, your school psychologist. So um, we're also on Twitter and my school site. Um, Facebook page just automatically goes to Twitter. So I'm um, at Becca Kamiz at School Psyched. Um, Rachel, you're at Mrs. Donnelly PK12? Yes. Yes. Good and job. I, I think is at School Psych 1. Is that right? Uh, EE1 School Psych. Okay, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so Great. Twitter and Facebook are probably the best ways to find us. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate it. This was a fantastic conversation and I'm just so glad that y'all were willing to take the time to, to sit down and chat. And I hope that folks check out everything that you're doing and get a lot of good info about working with kids. So thank you. Thank Thank you you for having us for sure. And, um, you know, listening to you and we get excited about silly things like you have intro music, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, we need an intro song and Eric is a musician. So you have to create some intro music for us. You've got to do an intro (laughs) song. Yeah. It's on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Good summer project. Yes. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you all. I hope that one day we might meet in person. Um, But until then, I really appreciate it. And I'll be watching everything you're doing and listening as well. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Same here. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with the school psyched folks, Rachel, Rebecca, and Eric. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. 
and mentioned a lot of resources in that podcast. Uh, we'll have all of those in the show notes in case you want to check them out. And definitely go listen to the School Psych podcast and watch it. That's one of the best things about it. You can watch and comment and ask questions, and it's all live. It's super cool. Let's see. If you need CE credits, go to athealth.com and check out the Testing Psychologist podcast episodes. Take a quick test and get some CE credits for a podcast you're already listening to. Um, We're coming up up on the end of our license renewal period, so I think a lot of people are going to be scrambling to get a few CEs, at least here in Colorado. So check it out. If you use the code TTP10, you can get a discount on your whole order there. Um, They have plenty of other courses to check out, uh, and you can yeah get those CE credits fulfilled. All right, y'all. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, If you have not subscribed, take a few seconds to do that. It always helps me, um, helps get the podcast word out and, you know, put it up on the charts on iTunes. And uh, that also means you won't miss any episodes in the future. There's some good ones coming. So stay tuned. All right, y'all. Take care. Bye-bye.